Thanks for tuning into Power Athlete Radio. This week, we are retroactively celebrating the birthdays of both John and Tex. In this episode, you'll get tales of birthdays past and answers to your questions, both training and personal. Like, when was Luke most recently propositioned for an orgy while at sea? And why did John end up spending his 21st birthday with Wayne Newton? Finally, some relevant training questions from the Johnny Wad and Grindstone feed. After editing out about 10 minutes of the guys trying to figure out how to use the echo effect, I finally bring you episode 305. PCR Compliance PC Load Letter. What the fuck does that mean? And you're walking like a cat with socks on with fucking boots. Jesus, no wonder you never bought boots before. This is gold. We're keeping it in. Power Athlete Nation. <laughs> What's happening? You're talking to Luke and... What? Can you believe how long it took him to respond? And Well, do you know what? He was He was thinking of saying or like responding with something witty, uh-huh. but he just doesn't have that range. Not yet. He's not warm. I'm not sure what that means, but that was quick enough, and no. I like it. I like the response time. And, of course, featured guest, special guest today, John Wellborn. <sighs> On the Premier Podcast. In, in strength, strength and, and conditioning. conditioning. Ing, ing. Thank ing, you, John. Ing, that ing. one slipped. That must be cold. Uh, might, must be not as warm as I thought it was. Ladies and gentlemen, here is the initiative I'm calling on you, Power Athlete Radio Nation. <laughs> Is that a, a new thing? Radio listeners, we're about 300 reviews on iTunes. We need a million. Let's get, no, no, John, baby steps. Let's get to 400. I think, John, what do you think about this? If we hit 400 reviews on iTunes, we put out a giveaway for $400 worth of Power Athlete Apparel. Ooh, I like it. Uh, to, well, what we do, okay, like so a contest, yeah, so a contest. So, like, if we hit 400 reviews, what we'll do is launch on Instagram, like a repost deal, like we do at Toes Forward. And you know what? Why don't we fucking get let's get all sorts of friends and family in there? Let's see if we can get some of our pals, maybe like Thorn, maybe Aura Ring, maybe we get a bunch like a swag bag, and it's a giveaway. The 400 review, the 400th, 400th review of this premier podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing, ing, ing. Giveaway. Wait, wait, wait. Okay, people. Today is the uh, biannual birthday episode for John Wellborn. What we did is we threw out a little request on social media, wanted to get some Q&A. We wanted to know, not to be confused with TNA, um, but there's plenty of that on social media as well. You know what I'm saying, Texas? But what we're going to do is just fire through these questions. We got to Pretty, pretty good batch of questions, I have to say, um, yeah. relative to other question solicitations. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to wind up well-worn and see where, where he takes you, what type of answers he wants to give you. And, of course, we'll probably chime in and disagree and do all those sorts of things, as is tradition on the crew episodes of the Power Athlete Radio, oh. Premier Podcast, Strength and Conditioning, ing, 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 seeking 400 reviews on iTunes. You can do it, people. So head to iTunes. Give us a review. Good show. Okay. <laughs> Good talk. We're ready to roll. All right. This so machine gun. I'm going to start. I'm going to start with a grindstone feed from Bo Colombo. Yeah, the feeds. All right, Jay Welly on grindstone. We asked grindstone and Johnny Wad for questions. I okay. have to tell you, the Johnny Wad questions. I love these guys. 
but they're not nearly as well thought out as the grindstone questions. Shocker. Which, which tells us the Johnny Wan dudes are just there to kick in the door and light their shit on fire. Grindstoners, which is our flex program. You know, dudes are like, you know, intelligent, married, professionals. Intelligent. Right? So Bo Colombo has three questions oh. for you. I'm going to start with his last question he asked. If you had to personally fight one of Rocky's opponents, who would it be and why? Um, if I had to fight one of Rocky's opponents, um, I would totally go with uh, Tommy Gunn. And? Just because you don't fucking like the way he looks? Uh, no, you know why? Because I don't think I'd want to fight Carl Weathers. Uh, Apollo Creed was, was silky smooth. I mean, to be able to get in the ring with Mr. T, that'd be something else, too. I mean, uh -huh. I would look at it and say, you know, uh, Tommy Morrison is the one that I would want to fucking go lay a beat on. Drago, I'd probably want to be friends with him. He looks yeah. like he trains hard. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, so if I had to get into it, I always, of any of the characters, like I always kind of rooted for the, uh, like the, I guess it's like the anti-hero or like the, you know, whatever his, um, uh, what's the right word in movies, uh, like... The protagonist. Yes, the pro an well, antagonist. Or antagonist. Yeah. So, well, it depends if you're on so Rocky's who, side or not. See, I, I was always a big fan of uh, Apollo Creed. Dude, uh, Apollo was great in like the first and second one. And then, you know, we get into like Rocky three and they take They go back to that, like, you know, boxing gym in Venice, that whole deal. I was always, always an Apollo Creed fan. Three, three it, was the best of Creed, man. And then. Uh, he was a coach, much better than. Well, yeah, but he was doing that homo, the Muhammad Ali thing is the way he wrote it. But um, the best part for me, too, is like seeing Mr. T, Clubber Lang, training when he's out there. Dude, I was always a big fan of Clubber Lang, so I always rooted for him, too. So really the only opponent that Rocky had that I didn't root for and thought was a massive douchebag was Tommy Morrison. Beat him down. And uh, What about Antonio Tarver, Mason Line Dixon? Uh, I was, you know, I'm kind of moot uh, about Antonio Tarver. Um, I didn't really like him, even though Roth trained him pretty extensively. Mm -hmm. I never liked Tar Tarver as a fighter. And uh, I just, uh, like, that was one of those movies where you saw it and you were like, uh, I feel like, uh, I feel like that Stallone did that movie because the studios wanted him to so that he could make Creed. Uh, he didn't make Creed, but... Uh, no, but but I, I like, like he pitched a lot of these movies. Okay. And so I think that that was a movie, like he pitched other movies, and they were like, well, if you give us this, you can get some other movies made. So, I mean, like, that, right. like I would say that Rocky is probably the most lackluster of all the Rocky movies. And uh, the problem is, is you have like, you know, Rocky Four, and then you have the Tommy Morrison movie, and then you have like this kind of, I think everybody kind of forgot about the Tarver movie, and it's really just... I mean, the, the Creed movies are epic. They are epic. And it, this goes back to a conversation we had way back. And, like, my first Rocky theater experience, like, I saw them all before, but my first Rocky theater experience was the Balboa. So Rocky Six with Tarver. So that, I thought it was an amazing movie theater experience. And then definitely sold me on going into the Creed and got me back into watching all the films. Like, I mean, you saw them all growing up. But mm -hmm. then just recharge that energy from me as like a Rocky Balboa generation guy versus well, original what, Rocky. Wasn't it called Rocky Balboa? Yeah. Yeah, that was the one and with... The speech he gives his son, that's fucking great. 
well-written speech. Is it, that was a good speech. When he gives, like, life's going to knock you down, that one. That was a good speech. Yeah. Not how hard you hit, how hard you get kit, hit and keep on moving. And it's not enough special effects for me, you know? What? No, no, special effects. They did the digital, like, simulation. Well, the other hard thing of those about characters. That, <laughs> about the other hard thing I made that movie was uh, Adrian had since passed away. So that was kind of, I mean, I think Polly had died as too. Um, so I don't remember. I think they had both go passed back. away. Uh, Max Kellerman, I ran into him in the airport. I think I was on a tail end of an Australia trip. So Max Kellerman, who's like the, the sports anchor, big boxing anchor and announcer, and he was rocking it like a badass suit and Jordans. And so instead of like saying what's up on his work, I just gave him a loved you in Rocky Balboa. <laughs> so probably the only person that's like 10 years after the movie came out. Only person that's ever been like, hey, Max, great job in Rocky six. I ever tell you I sat in uh, on an airplane with Stanley. Awesome. And I just wanted to like do ask him nothing but X-Men things. And so he was sitting like uh, like we were like sitting across the aisle from me, and uh, this is before like the Avengers and all this stuff. And he's like, uh, he just made a funny joke. He's like, "You should play Captain America." I was like, "I'm in." <laughs> and then he's like, "What do you do?" I'm like, "Ah, oh, I play in the NFL." He's like, "Ah, oh, it's great." Um, and I'm and then I that's when I asked him I'm like, "Are you going to make a Captain America?" And he's like, "Yeah." All the, you know, and he basically was like, you know, uh, the Avengers, and he, he's like, you know, the Avengers are coming back, and he was coming back from some comic book show. Well, and uh, this was yeah before all the Avengers stuff and everything. So like he yeah that was I had a cool moment with Stanley. That is pretty cool. Yeah, I should have got him to sign something. Like I should have done so, but I, I, like nah, you I've, got your I've, moment. I've, I've never been the type of person to ask for an yeah. autograph. Yeah, it's it's just not my deal. I mean, and and what am I going to do? Fucking snap a selfie with him, which mm -hmm. he probably would have liked, but I just fucking that wasn't my deal. You got to offer him a Schlitz. That's oh, what I do whenever I see famous great. people. I, have you ever told that? Story. Speaking of Bo Colombo, yeah. I think it's a great ad for. Well, I don't know. I, I guess I'll give the short of it. I went. <laughs> I was visiting my buddy Bo before he went on his fucking eight-year sabbatical backpacking, and I was out in uh, San Diego. We were on a pretty aggressive like beach bender, and found ourselves in the farmers market in L.A. Uh, just bellied up at a bar out there at like nine in the morning, drinking Tall Boys of Schlitz. <laughs> It's just things that happen with Bo, right? Yeah. And uh, Vince Vaughn walked by, and we're like, holy fuck, it's Vince Vaughn. And we were on a, just, uh, I guess it's still like a 12-year running binge of uh, Wedding Crashers. And, you know, like... Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm so in. Old I'm school. In. in old school. Like, so it's just like, con like you know, so he's fucking... It's legend. Vince Vaughn. It's a legend at this point, right? Yeah. So we're like, what do you do? Like, do we go... Which, it was before cell phone cameras. Like, you didn't take a what selfie. What year was this? Man, 2006. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, those were good days. Mm -hmm. 2000. So he no, was actually. Was, I had just started dating Ashley. So it was 2008. And we were contemplating at that bar. Ash was back in Chicago and Bo hadn't met her yet. And he's like, fly her out. You're big time fucking corporate guy. Just buy her a ticket. You know, just getting me to make bad decisions. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and long, we, we just thought that, man, what should we do? Let's fucking let's buy, let's buy Vince Vaughn a beer. And then we walk up to him. He's trying to just have like fucking brunch, you know, and to douchebags just douches that had to smell awful like homeless it's homeless stink but you guys are from chicago and he's from chicago yeah but we didn't even get that far <laughs> security tackled you like, guys hey hey mr vaughn man it's awesome to see you do you want a beer and they're like he's like schlitz no you're good buddy uh why don't you and your buddy over here go finish that schlitz on your own i'm i'm gonna have breakfast here we're like 
okay. And then just walked away. Yes, sir. Yeah. And fucking, I guess, one of my proudest moments. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I had all this stuff I wanted to say, yeah. and I didn't. Yeah. But um, I'd rather have that than an autograph, though. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And like a totally smooth transaction of like, hey, can I get a picture? Can I get your autograph? I mean, just flopping and failing, offering Vince Vaughn a Schlitz. Eh, whatever. But uh, John, next question from Bo. Uh, I'm sure John watched tape of defenses, but did you watch tape of other offensive linemen to see what they were doing to beat the def- defense or defensive players? And if so, who was your favorite to watch? So it's kind of an interesting question. Because when you watch defenses, they're playing against offenses. So just by the fact that you're watching the the various defenses, you end up watching all of the offenses. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you end up uh, becoming a pretty good student of who's a good player and who's not. I mean, so much so in the defense alignment, the same same way that when it came time for like voting for the Pro Bowl and, uh, you know, who was good, they would actually come and ask us because we'd watched everybody, hey, we... You know, this guy was pretty good against us. Was he as good in the film as what we'd seen? So they were always looking for a little confirmation of that. Um, who did I always think was pretty good? Uh, you know, uh, when I played in Philadelphia, uh, we, you know, you tend to watch, uh, you know, a ton of NFC teams. So you're not as familiar with the AFC guys, even though you do play some AFC teams. Uh, so you just kind of end up just following who's in your division. Um, I'm just trying to think of who I really liked as a player, and I'm totally drawing a blank right now. Um, damn, you kind of stumped me on that one. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm just kind of drawing a blank. I mean, you know, we always watched, or I, I always liked watching guys like, you know, Cal Turley play, and I always liked watching Willie Rofe and Will Shields, and ironically, I got an opportunity to go back and play with those guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm just thinking, like, I never really uh, – there were some dudes at the Giants who were pretty good. Um, like Dave Deal was was always like a pretty decent player. Uh, the Redskins, like with John Jansen, was pretty solid. So I watched him. I always like watching, you know, Runyon play. Um, who else was pretty good? Um, I mean, obviously Will Shields. Uh, always liked watching the Cowboys, you know, especially when they had like Nate Newton and some of those guys down there. Uh, just uh, Larry Allen was Larry always Allen. a fucking beast to watch. Um, obviously, Turley was always a lot of fun, too, mm-hmm. uh, just because, you know, the, the way he acted and the way he played the game was fucking pretty always solid. Uh, well, it's just, I mean, just guys that I knew and had been buddies with and done something, you know, like kind of traveled or seen in the offseason. Yeah, it's fun uh, to watch yeah, those dudes. Yeah, just fun to watch. But for the most part, uh, you know, the, you know, the other offensive lines do the same thing. I remember I was uh, one of the young guys that played on our team, uh, had gone up and was playing for the Giants. And I remember I was driving somewhere and they called me and they were in the meeting room because they were actually watching me play against a few different people. And uh, they were asking me for like, hey, when you played against this guy, like, you know, I like asking for some real time information on what I did to defeat that guy. And I always thought that was kind of neat that uh, the New York Giants offensive line called me from their meeting room to Mm -hmm. ask me some questions. And um, yeah, honestly, I really haven't just thought about it in a while. So I'm just kind of drawing some likes on names. That's pretty good ask and answer. You got one? We want to go training? Sure. All right, from Field Strong, and I guess in all of Field Strong, and I know you've made some adjustments on the fly here, John. But what's the most? This is from Ned Nerf Ryerson. 
I don't know. Ned Ryerson. Ned Ryerson? Needle nose Ned? Ned the head? What's the most common inefficiency you see amongst field strong athletes? If you could go back and change an aspect of your athletic development, what would it be? What is the most say that again? What's the like what's the most common inefficiency you see amongst field strong athletes? Uh, I would say universally, most people are not nearly as strong as I would want, like them to be. I found that the stronger you are, uh, the more, I guess you can say, like a little farther out on the rails you can get with the training. Uh, I think when you know, you're pushing at a certain limit of strength, uh, you have to be very, very precise. Uh, probably the biggest weakness I've seen universally and why it's so focused in the program comes down to glute or uh, trunk strength. That's why everybody, you know, I mean, every day there's some form of rotation, some form of trunk. Uh, we're constantly working that. And when I say the trunk, I just don't mean the front. I also mean the back, like the low back, the erectors, uh, you know, uh, everything within what I call that trunk girdle. Uh, it's just fucking weak. And I, I don't know if it's from sitting um, or it's kind of similar to a lot of things where, you know, the limbs, your upper body, your legs, everything gets tends to get strong quickly. But the only way that the trunk gets strong is through, you know, linear progression of load over time. So when I look at a lot of people, uh, within like, you know, the training space is something like field strong and I watch the videos or I watch what I get tagged in an Instagram. The one thing that's universally true is I can kind of understand your training age based on, you, you know, how rigid and how strong you are in your trunk. Um, you know, uh, I got tagged today, uh, by, uh, an athlete who was doing like reverse med ball tosses. And, uh, you know, her, or she reached out and said, Hey, this feels really awkward. And I'm like, well, it's because you're standing flat footed, like think triple extension, get tall, big extension and throw. So I think people forget that this like universal model of athleticism from, you know, universal athletic position and then challenging that getting to full extension, triple extension, hips, toes and knees, uh, you know, is the goal, especially on that type of movement and, you know, generating that force. So, um, I sometimes think that. When you do the training in a vacuum, which means that you're doing it by yourself or you're doing it at the gym or you're not doing it with like a group of people with a coach watching you. Like, for example, you know, Field Strong 6 a.m. shows up and 20 athletes are at the gym and, you know, I'm there and, and we're all training and people are making critiques and working through these things and assessing weaknesses. Uh, I think it just even though, uh, you know, I'm writing the program for kind of obviously the bell curve, you know, for that middle for what I want to see. I just think that there's, you know, outliers on the top and the bottom. Um, so you just have to kind of understand that, you know, given the amount of time that people are in the training program, they should be able to pull that up if I focus on it. Um, you know, like, but for me, uh, do I do as much trunk work as I prescribe? Probably not because mm -hmm. I also have 25 years of literally working on my trunk in every way. I mean, we do it not only heavy with like uh, kettlebells. I do, you know, everything up from isometric holds to dead bugs to leg lifts to reverse hypers to a ton of med ball rotation stuff. So, I mean, I'm constantly focusing on some form of trunk work, or trunk work every single day. Uh, hip flexor. I mean, so for me, um, <clears throat> when I get weak in my trunk, I see everything suffers. When my trunk is strong, uh, I become bulletproof. So that's just that one piece that I is just kind of universally very glaring to me. Oh, tensile strength. Tensile this strength. goes into a big part of the methodology and one of the things that's accomplished in Bedrock and is one of the five big goals that we want to accomplish with Bedrock is that tensile strength. Mm -hmm. The repeated exposure to overload and 
linear progress, an athlete with the barbell. And so they just get, man, reps on reps on reps, developing that trunk strength, that tensile strength to then prepare them for contact sport or the next phase of their athletic development. Yeah. But, and I mean, and it's uh, like, a, what is, it's right up there with coordination, man. It's so important. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's a really um, interesting piece. And I, you know, had a real long conversation the other day with, uh, with Cal Dietz. And we were talking about, you know, like uh, everything from like foot strength and this and how, um, you know, the limiting factor for speed and strength is always going to be your ability to transfer, uh, transfer, you know, strength and power from the ground through the movement. And if the foot is weak, it doesn't matter how explosive, how strong, none of these factors, you're not going to be able to generate force. The same thing with the trunk. If the Mm -hmm. trunk is weak, I don't care how strong you are. I don't care how anything else looks that if I can't connect those two, you know, upper to lower body, then it becomes just kind of a, a massive limiting factor. And, um, you know, oh, the, yeah. the force, only, the force only, bleed from, yeah. from top to bottom. Yeah. And the only way you fix it or the only way that you move towards where you need to be is like a constant progression and a daily attempt at it. And, uh, it just, you know, and then there's a million different ways, like, you know, I, um, I always hate when people are like, oh, I'm just doing, you know, and I went over to Gold's Gym today to hit a little chest and do a little blast on our day off. And as I was in there, I was watching all these fucking idiots laying on the ground, just doing this thing that looked like they were, you know, crunching, baby, crunching. And it's I mean, like I'm watching them do this stuff. And then uh, I watched a dude get on this machine that looked like uh, something that would if you could design a machine with the expressed goal of getting you to fart a lot that's what this machine looked like it was doing it was like crunching it like it just was something like that looks like a fart making machine and uh like I'm, I'm like watching all these people do all these things for abs and realizing that they're not doing anything to train their trunk they're not doing anything that looks like support or keeping them in a good position everybody thinks about training the trunk with extension and flexion and it's really about the ability to stabilize And, you know, apply, reduce, generate force, you know, like think about like the med ball as you go to throw the med ball, you're, you know, moving the ball. And then as it's coming off a reactive force, you're absorbing the force and slowing it down and coming back into rotation all the time, maintaining proper, uh, proper posture and position. And, uh, it just becomes really glaring. And I just think like, man, your trunk looks weak. And how do you, you know, how do you get it better? I mean, it's like, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? you know, practice every mm-hmm. single day. And that's why it's so, um, so apparent in every one of the programs. And we do it in so many different ways. It's supine, it's, uh, um, face down, which is prone. So we do supine, we do prone, we do, you know, a vertical thing where you're hanging, we stabilize, we do isometrics, we do, you know, kettlebell swings where you're effectively extension and flexion with a hinge, but you're breathing through it. So you're kind of, you know, working to maintain, stability with breath. You're not holding your breath. I mean, so we, I I kind of attack it in a million different ways. And, uh, you know, the biggest issue comes down to that transverse plane. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, we saw this in the CrossFit deal, you know, you have a guy like Greg Glassman designs a training program that looks like everything can be done in a, in a hallway and there's no, you know, everything's a sagittal plane. I mean, there's very little frontal and there's all, and there's no rotation. There's no sagittal plane or a transverse plane. So uh, that piece, when we work with a lot of the CrossFit athletes, and especially going out and teaching the CrossFit football and the SSA seminars, was just so many people, almost every single participant, unless 
they had come from someplace other than a CrossFit origin, uh, just had no ability in that transverse plane. And you think about Olympic lifting. Yeah, I mean, those guys are great in, that, in terms of pull and snatching underneath the weight. And everybody's kind of stuck in this idea that, you know, Olympic lifting is the, the, you know, the greatest expression of athleticism. And it's the greatest builder of athleticism. Uh, that is true uh, for a lot of reasons. Uh, or you could make that argument. But at the end of the day, you have to be able to rotate. You have to be able to separate the body from the lower body. And you have to be able to move and, and change direction. And, you know, we just don't see enough of that in the training system. And with... I mean, it always goes back to like sport practice or and excuse me, team training, not a lot of rotation in the training because they have the sport, they have basketball, volleyball, the freedom of the field to get that rotation in. But now that we're working field strong and athletes that don't have the sport, they don't have practice or games to get that freedom of twist bend and that comes with sport, we have to build it into our program. And that's mm-hmm. I think we do a great job. Yep. And if you're not, I just can't help but think of those donkeys doing sit-ups as well. Like, it's you, pretty, know, it, you it, know, those guys aren't also aren't progressing their loads. You know, like they're not they're not doing anything to continually progress volume intensity like like we do built in with the, the rep max and max rep attempts in all of our programs. Right. Yeah. I was over there doing like um, on the far side, they have a kind of a funky uh, incline bench. It's kind of, it's, it's like six inches too low. So you got to like basically squat fucking ass to ankles so to get into it. Banded preacher curl? No. <laughs> so uh, I got in like, so I, I was trying to like, you know, the problem is, is like the, their selection of equipment is fucking garbage. But uh, like they have all those like little seats that are like 90s, mm-hmm. you know, that you sit in oh, for yeah. like shoulder press, which are the worst thing for your fucking shoulders. If they had adjustable benches, but they really only have two and the one is super low. And then the other guy had fucking camped out on it. So I went over there and I was just doing a little bit of uh, hex press, even though they don't have hex dumbbells, you just kind of smash them together and then just doing some kind of like flies and a little bit of shoulder stuff. And uh, there was a dude next to me in the Smith machine um, who was doing fucking extensive toe out. So like sumo, imagine sumo toe out, knee out squats with like 135, 225, like six inches high. As I'm sitting there just saying like, oh, God, this is fucking awful. He's like, hey, what's up, man? Are you new here? I was like, yeah, brand new. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh. Never yeah. done this stuff before. Yeah. I was like, hey. As your bicep vein brushes <laughs> in. And uh, so, so then he, uh, he, he proceeded to take that as, uh, you know, his, I guess he was like the Walmart greeter to like give me the lowdown on everybody in the gym. And, uh, this is amazing. Oh, it's fucking like, I'm like, oh, he's like, oh yeah, that chick, you know, this Chronicles. oh yeah, no, he's like, ah, oh, she's single, but she's fucking around. Like, and he, he like proceeded to give me this whole fucking lowdown. And, uh, I was like, ah, oh, okay. After like, you know, and then I just kept doing the sets as he kept talking. And then at that point I was like, just picked up my shit and walked away. Sure enough. I watched him. He talked to like seven or eight more people. He just like the Walmart reader at that place. And those, and that's kind of historic like that, man. People, people go there, they create these like strange social structures. And, uh, frankly, I just want to go there and use their fucking hammer incline, which I'm just contemplating. Like we should just buy that fucking hammer incline and bring it to power athletes. So Mm. we don't really ever have to go to fucking golds. It's not a bad idea. Dude, I love that hammer incline. It's like, dude, for some reason, that thing fucking hits me like right here in the top of the chest. And uh, then they also had um, a pretty bitchin' machine where like uh, it, like you kind of sit and it, it it's like on a pendulum. So as you're pushing, you kind of push down and up. Mm-hmm. And man, that fucking fries me too. So 
I, I kind of do it. I, I like just going occasionally and using machines because it just hits you in a whole bunch of different uh, planes that you're not used to. And you can load up as much fucking weight as you can and do like some like really heavy accentuated negatives and yeah. not fucking kill yourself. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but it, it's a nice change up. I just think that the person who's attracted to go to the gym at like 6 a.m. on a fucking Wednesday morning is uh, obviously a little kind of a strange cat, but we're happy to have him. Yeah. So, um, but they, uh, you know, Gold has Gold Fit now, which is like, oh, yeah. a, you know, the CrossFit ripoff. Yeah, they've had that for a couple of years. Yeah. And uh, the trainer dude, you're going to love this, like short shorts, uh, shaved head, massive fucking uh, beard. And I'm just like, oh, God. What, was he wearing spandex as like uniform? No, hoodie, hoodie. Like you could tell he was a CrossFitter. I just think it's funny when somebody takes uh, the amount of time to shave their head clean but yet not their beard. So then therefore it becomes like a fashion statement. Yeah. It looks cool. Yeah. Like, but like, it's not like, I, I always appreciated the like, ah, I got a beard cause I'm lazy. Kind of like, I just didn't want, you know, you didn't want to mm-hmm. shave, but then you take the time to have to shave your head, which is a much bigger fucking surface area than the beard. So then I got yeah, to assume it's less like nooks and crannies than the face. But so then I got to assume that the guy probably has a pretty round egg head, but has a weak chin, mm. right? This Bob Walworth said, the only reason you have to grow a beard like that is a weak chin. Interesting. Which is funny because I, I told Bert that. And why he's don't like, you just... And, and Bert's like, I got a weak chin. Why don't you just put your hands up on their chin <laughs> and push in on their beard to find the shape of their chin and just be like... Huh. Interesting. Uh, and then walk away. I don't know, man. <laughs> it's uh, like if you want to do Bert CrossFit, just go to the fucking CrossFit gym. Yeah, it's too expensive. Yeah, I get it. But, you know... Yeah. Any, barely anyway, anyway... I got one from my boy Jake. From CrossFit Naperville days. Uh, how many times can a youth athlete complete the Bedrock progression? For anyone who's new here, Bedrock is our foundation program where we have a uh, progressive overload through linear progression, right? And then we hit a few resets, and then that's like the great way to establish base level strength. So that's where you start, people. It's somewhere around 18 to 22 weeks is usually what we'll be seeing with the Bedrock program. Ironically, we've had people on it for four years, and they don't squat 3,000 pounds. Yeah, it's crazy. So, uh, But Jake's asking, how many times can a youth athlete complete the bedrock progression? For example, my 11-year-old just finished about a 16-week stint of bedrock. Now he's playing rec league baseball, uh, 16-game season, and then also playing 7 versus 7 football, which is an 8-game season, simultaneously this spring. He'll probably lift once a week in season, but come July... Should he jump on and restart Bedrock? Um, I don't think it could hurt. You know, the great thing about a basic linear progression is you'll know pretty quickly whether or not that you have anything left in the tank. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I've never been a fan. I mean, uh, usually 11 years old is a little bit younger than what we normally start, but that's kind of based on just a general age. Um, you know, obviously, if he's physically more developed and as a physical age, it's higher. Um, but I think for most kids somewhere around that 13 years old is really the one where we like to hit it hard. Uh, is there going to be adaptation from lifting weights, uh, before puberty? Yes. 100%. Um, and I know I'm going to get a fucking hundred, uh, direct messages about this asking for the research, but, uh, there was a, a piece of research that I read fuck years ago, like 10 years ago that had to do with the priming of the pump. Do you remember this? how the Russians looked at a deal where they took to, they, they basically separated kids into two groups. They had them, and this is pure, 
pre-puberty. They took kids and they didn't have them do any physical exercise. And then the others, they had it in a pretty extensive GPP training program with mm-hmm. like gymnastics and movement and a whole bunch of shit. And then after at like the age of 13, 14 at puberty, or right around the age when most kids go through puberty, they threw them all in the same training program. And the kids had had uh, exposure to physical training, whether it be weights, body weight, gymnastics, movement, whatever, gain muscle at a greater rate than the kids that didn't. Mm-hmm. And so they called it the priming of the pump. And that's why you see like, you know, the uh, typical, you know, uh, gymnast or the, you know, in CrossFit, you see these girls that were former gymnasts that had trained pretty extensively from the time they were five, you know, four and five years old, all of a sudden get back in the CrossFit thing and fucking get fucking jacked and shredded fairly quickly because they had that adaptation early on before puberty. So I think there is uh, definitely a, a practice or a market of getting those kids into a training program pre-puberty. I just don't know if it would look like nothing but basic barbells to me. And I guess if you're 11 years old, by the time you turn fucking 12 years old, you're different. Like, that's, neurologically, that's you're different. Point I was and get. by the time you're 13 years old, you're still different. Mm-hmm. And you probably have, like, different versions that can go through that bedrock cycle. I guess I would tell, and my recommendation would be, try it. If it, like, if there's the... It, it wouldn't hurt, like you said, John, right? And I think that you'll see a continued progression as the little guy continues to grow physically, neurologically, and uh, mentally, right? Yeah, and his summer off-seasons, because he, he looks like a three-sport athlete, his summer off-season from here until he's probably a rising senior in high school, he's going to follow bedrock because each summer he is a different person, right? Whether he's grown three inches or matured or... Just put on that extra muscle mass. So it's not the same program, right? He's following the same sets and reps scheme and progression, but at the same time, he's a different person. Beautiful. Uh, Tex, what do you got? Sticking with bed, uh, bedrock, we got a question from Matt D. Thoughts on running bedrock program for rowing athletes? I have acquired some youth development rowers with a range of lifting experience. Just interested to get all your thoughts on how you would run a program for these athletes. Would you include plyometrics and perhaps not include sprinting and change a direction? Why would you avoid sprinting and change a direction? My thought for Matt is probably thinking, oh, they'll never need it. Um... I think the worst thing you can do for a kid, especially youth, is to pigeonhole them into something like that. I would much rather develop somebody as a complete athlete. That means lifting weights, change of direction, running, jumping, doing all that, opposed from uh, putting them into a specialized situation where they're sitting in a boat just pulling on an oar. Uh, the best rowers I've seen were, the, were fairly decent athletes at right, other sports, right. and then they, yeah. had, uh, they adapted over. So would I specialize them and say, hey, you know what, we're, just, we're not going to do an athletic form of training. We're just going to do basic strength training so that doesn't take away from uh, their ability to row? Fuck no. I would never do that. I would put them into a training program where they had things like plyometrics, change of direction, sprinting, running and jumping, and lifting weights. And I'd put them in a complete strength and conditioning program that works to foster and develop athleticism, challenge posture and position. And then I would put them in 
the rowing situation as you know a test for what they're doing but i think the minute that you try to specialize too early you're going to stymie growth because what happens if all of a sudden a year or two into it the kid decides fuck i don't want to do this anymore it really sucks i want to go play soccer i want to go play soccer yeah and then now they're behind the curve so i think the biggest fallacy that is happening in today's deal in terms of sport development especially youth development is the ideal of specialization. And on top of it, there uh, I just I, I posted an article on Johnny Wad from Dr. Andrews uh, talking about kids need to play less organized sport. Um, you know, with traveling teams and club teams and this and all the other stuff, kids are playing the same sport over and over again. And we've never done that. Kids have periodized through sports. They've played basketball, they played baseball, they played football. They've done all these sports would have which have a different set of requirements, and that allows for a more complete athlete. And at the end of the day, I think it just negatively affects anybody from too early a specialization. So continue to train them as athletes. Yeah, the, the training response you get from sprinting and change of direction doesn't just improve sprinting, sprinting and, and change of direction. direction. It improves and the weights, too. We, yeah, we had, uh, I would call it a fun debate. Was it last week in our Block 1 coaches Slack? Right? So, like, we have, what, 90, 90 registered coaches with our network, and we have private they have private access to me, Tex, and John. And it was about, like, should you repla- could you replace the sprinting in bedrock? And uh, it was a pretty hot thread. Hot thread. I think I won that one. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, ask and answer, do you think, Tex, on this one? Yeah. And, the, and I took on the strength and conditioning program for two years of collegiate rowing and there was their first exposure to the barbell mm-hmm. training right for rower athletes or, or females recruited right off campus because they were tall so first exposure and the objective was to enhance their athleticism because they are in the boat for three hours yeah stuck and in then the you only get two opportunities to hit the weight room yeah now we're gonna take them where they uh expose them to skip sprints and all and Olympic weightlifting, mm-hmm. so things that would just help express their ability in the boat. And it is a repetitive motion. And those of you who have not been in a boat, if you are a rower, it's a different action than the C2. C2, you are straightforward, but there is this this slight hitch, this slight rotation in a boat. And well, if that's because for- if you're in a boat with multiple people, the row, like one yeah. person has a right and one person has a left. Right. So you have to pull on that one side. Whereas if so you it, were just in like a single or a double, you would be able to pull two at the same time, which is more similar to the erg. Yeah. And so with the sport of rowing, it's that same repetitive potential of repetitive motion injury that we see with baseball, volleyball, youth. So it was important that we just aimed it, open them up and mm-hmm. set them free and I mean, that was more fun because fucking college rowing, 4 a.m., man, that sucks. Yeah, so we just made it fun. All right, let's shift some gears. Sand Creek Studio. As a parent, I'm always curious about others' routines and habits. Wondering about your kids' bedtime routines, habits, etc., and how you instill a healthy sleep and recovery habits for the kiddos. <laughs> um, we, start, uh, we start hurting the cats around 8 o'clock for them to be in bed at 8.30. And my wife's got a pretty good deal. She goes upstairs uh, with them, and uh, they do this, they, like, they do Mind Yeti. So, like, Kate goes up there, and uh, um, my son sleeps down, his room's downstairs with ours. So my daughter's rooms are upstairs. And so she goes up there with the kids. They all lay down about 8, 8.15 after they brush their teeth. 
we do a, a check of the toothbrush to make sure that they've been putting toothpaste on it and actually brushing their teeth, which is kind of funny. Um, and then they go upstairs and they kind of just lay down and they do the mind yeti stuff. And I What's usually, that? uh, it's like an app mm-hmm. and it's kind of like a meditation app that they do Okay, and it's, it kind of talks and they just kind of, uh, you know, meditate and, you know, like listen to it and it's supposed to be calming and relaxing. Sure. And so Kate does that. And, uh, I usually fire up my computer and respond to all the emails that I have. And then I try to be in bed by like nine, nine fifteen, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, the funny part is, is sometimes uh, she's up there listening to mine yeti hang out the kids. She gets ninja blow darted and oh, falls yeah. asleep. <laughs> so then I got to go up there and like wake her up. And then what I'll do is I'll turn on the sleep noise. And then she brings cash down. We put him in bed and then, uh, just hope to God he just doesn't come wake us up, which has not been the case for the last six months. So, and then, um, Kate wakes up about five and I get up about five ten, and then the kids get up about five thirty cause they have to be at school by seven thirty. So they leave the house at seven fifteen. she drops them off. So they got to be up by like five something, six o'clock. And then they come down and, uh, eat, while they're eating breakfast, have this extensive arts and crafts, which blows my mind. And, uh, then we have to battle with them about eating because for some reason little kids don't like to eat, which is crazy to me. And, uh, and then they get out of the house. So it's, it's nothing overly complex, but I think that idea of like, Hey, let's go upstairs and like, listen to the Magneti thing, uh, is, uh, uh, is a pretty good deal. Um, I don't do it because did, I will fall asleep. Do they ever give you like pushback? Like, no, I don't want to no. go to bed. Anything no. like that. No, Man, I can remember being a kid and being like, I don't want to fucking go to bed. Well, no, but, but Kate's pretty good. She didn't say, Hey, let's go to bed. She's like, let's go upstairs and uh, we'll read a story and like, listen to mine yet. The only problem is if I go upstairs, the reason I don't go upstairs and do all that is cause I'll fall asleep. Mm-hmm. Like fucking hundred percent. If I, if I lay down, I'll go to sleep. So like, I'm smart enough to be like, ah, this isn't a good place for me. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah, the cashy gets knocked out and then the girls sleep pretty well, man. They've always been really good sleepers. Uh, so I've been pretty lucky in that regard. <laughs> Just looked up mine Yeti, their tagline, mindfulness for kids and their adults. <laughs> yep. It's yeah. funny. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's good. I mean, they, they listen to it. It's kind of this meditation thing and, uh, they really dig it, but man, but the girls are really good sleepers. They are not good wakers. Um, which is really funny because when they wake up in the morning, like for some reason, like tears, crying, like they're always grumpy, cash on the other hand, pop out of bed and be like the ray of sunshine. So excited to see everybody. And I just wonder if that's like a girl versus boy thing. Mm-hmm. Like they come downstairs, I don't know why I'm crying. Oh, God. You know, and you're like, ah, it's just girls. Yep. So where do you want to take it? Let's stay on topic. What's the best dad car? That was one of our questions. What's the best dad car? Like, I, I need a little more description. So if you're a father, what car should you look into? Oh, and fuck, I don't know. I mean, there was just well, a recent think... big white purchase. Yeah, we did. We got a van. Uh, but that's a mom car. That's not a dad car. So every, well, it does, every... you don't have to answer what the, like, in your opinion, what is your best dad car? Uh, every time that we go on a work trip now... <laughs> There's always one goal in the rental car. To have send a minivan. It. To have a minivan. Oh, yeah. Minivan. Yeah. Well, send, send, send it. <laughs> Do you know why minivans are great? Is because you can pull into a spot and the doors slide. Yeah. I, oh, I yeah. love it. It's so much easier to get in and out and get kids in and out. I, I don't know. I, um, I don't know if there's a... Well, in my perfect car for a kid, 
there would be a, um, like a floor of like hot magma lava <laughs> so that like when they threw shit or they dropped things or they just like fucking threw things, it just instantly disintegrated. Uh-huh. And if they made a mess, it would burn their feet off. So because uh, those fucking kids, uh, <laughs> they I, I'm not kidding you. Like they are like dirt merchant, like a junk collector. It's like, I'll get in the car and be like, what is this stuff? And then I have to go through and clean it all out. And uh, so we, we had a Suburban. And um, what I didn't like about that is that they had this, like, whole, like, junk pile in the back. Mm-hmm. And I just never went back there. And finally, I was like, what are you guys, are, are these wrappers? Like, collecting everything. So we've uh, since got rid of that. And now we have a van. And the door slides open. And there's nowhere for them to hide their junk. So how about, like, a Chrysler Sebring convertible? That feels like a badass dad car. Nah. No. <laughs> no. Nah. Shit, no, man. No. Nah. Shit, no. Nah. Your get your ass kicked for driving yeah. something like that. I don't know. I, uh, the kids, for at least my kids, like uh, they like the big trucks. Like like mm-hmm. the big trucks is a big deal. So they always like like a big truck. So for some reason, like that's like a big thing for them. So, but uh, yeah, they that van is hilarious. Seats twelve. It's perfect. Little guy. It's a little guy. All right, so mm. let's go here. The other thing, too, is as a kid, I think you, you don't want, like, your dad to, or, like, to grow up or thinking, like, ah, oh, you know, my dad, when we were kids, drove a Chrysler Sebring. Like, no, nah, <laughs> you don't like to think like that. Or, um, like, I, like, like, I remember all the cars that uh, my parents had, but also all of our friends had that we did went in carpools in. So I remember Mrs. Sanford had, like, I want to say it was, like, a 1972 Buick Riviera like a boat tail Riviera, if anybody knows what that is. We thought it was, it was, it was the car that they based the old Batmobile on, I think. And, uh, it looked like the Batmobile. So like we used to ride in that thing and just mind you, it was like a two door, but the back seat, you could probably get like 14 kids on that back seat. (laughs) And I remember we used to all sit on this back seat and it was just huge. Like more kids would just keep getting in and we'd all have room and and of course no seatbelts. But, uh, like that was pretty cool. And I remember, um, you know, like my mom had had a Mercedes. My dad always had a Porsche. And I remember, like, my dad always had a cool car. I, like, whenever he would pick me up, I could always hear the Porsche coming. So I think you want to... So a, as a dad, you kind of owe it to have the I think you gotta, Yeah, I think you got to have a cool car where your kids aren't really embarrassed. Because it's the hand-me-down. So we were... My dad was 1984 Mercedes Turbo Diesel. Fucking awesome. And as soon as I turned 16, I got to drive that tank. It was awesome. Mm-hmm. My old man had two cars. I mean, shocker. The, the fucking, the Randy Summers principle. He had his truck, and then he had, like, whatever his sports car was. Which it wasn't, he was, he was like a mid-range sports car guy. So he was, I thought he was a Corvette guy. He, he was, but he never, he never took the plunge when we were kids. He has one now. Yeah. But um, he, uh, he had a Fiero. Oh. oh, my personal favorite. <laughs> well, you and Nick and, and DJ. <laughs> and John Voight, right? Uh, yeah. He had a Thunderbird. Um, he had a Cadillac. What was the other one? What was his last fucking car before he just went? St- he then he went like full full time truck because back. I feel like back in the eighties, like there wasn't really like a daily di- driver type truck. They were mostly like work bench tr- seat. Yeah, work truck. Standard cab, right? Well, I mean, dude, like uh, when we went to go look at the the van, there was a GMC dealer next door, mm-hmm. and I went over and looked at the new. Uh, like my new Duramax, like the 2018s or 19s, they're like anywhere from like 72 to like $98,000. It's bonkers. bonkers. So I paid 42,000 for my truck in Mm -hmm. 06. 
and that was like the top of the line one. Now they have like a Denali GMC Duramax. Yeah. And uh, it was like $94,000 fully loaded. And I was like, holy shit, that's double the price. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So, yeah, no, like now the trucks like are like luxury yeah, so trucks. You, so that's once he can get away with like a... He, you know, you had the fucking extended cab and leather seats and all AC. He, he never had the sidecar anymore. So now he's just a truck guy. But now he's got a Corvette, too. Yeah, I, uh, I couldn't imagine ever living in a world where I didn't have a truck. Mm-hmm. Or multiple trucks. Oh, no, I got friends. Like, I, uh, all my, I inventoried all my friends' cars. Not one has pickup truck. And I realized that they're renting fucking Home Depot trucks. And I think we talked about this yeah. the other week, John. Like, could you imagine ha- like having to walk in and be like, I need to... I need to rent a pickup truck because I can't fucking haul back this hundred pounds of dirt or whatever the fuck you bought. Like, or if you had a truck that you couldn't really use because it was so weak and so feeble. Are you talking about the work truck? Are you talking about Dave Spann's truck? The work truck? Hey. <laughs> he put like 500 pounds of tile in the back and it like buckled in. Right, then he had to call me to pick it up. Yeah. That's right. He's like, I'm going to need somebody with a one ton truck. American made. That'll happen. So, okay, I like that. I think I'm with you on that. Like, dad car shouldn't be the family mobile. It should be like the, my dad drove a fucking this. Well, my, my, my parents always had a, we had a Suburban, which was like our family car. But my mm-hmm. mom always had a pretty nice Mercedes. And my dad always drove a Porsche. Gotcha. And uh, that was like, um, yeah. So I was actually, like, in hindsight, when I thought I turned, well, when I turned 16, I wanted my parents, they, they had a bitch in square body Suburban, which is probably why I'm into square bodies. Uh and I and, and I wanted it. I, I was like, man, I'd like to uh, have the uh, suburban when I turned sixteen and uh, or seventeen, whatever it was. And my dad was like, no, I'm not giving you that. I love that truck. <laughs> and so I, that's why I ended up getting a Bronco because uh, he wasn't giving up on the suburban. And in hindsight, I was like, dude, that suburban's fucking awesome. And then uh, I remember he went and traded it in on a new suburban, which was bullshit because they uh, the the dealer convinced him to go get the new IFS, uh, the OBS suburban, and he, he got rid of the bitch and square body. And uh, I remember he came home and I was like, "You shouldn't have got rid of that." He's like, "Yeah, I know. It's not nearly as nice as the old one." So I'm gonna go training, Tex, off of the grindstone feet. Yeah, uh, strength training for fighters. Keep it simple with compound movements, or do you believe that there are movements that would specifically benefit a striker slash grappler? Um, and then kind of aligned with that is like right after, or, well, I'll, go, I'll let you go with that. Yeah, I think um, being able to do a, a combination uh, of training, I think, uh, you know, really the meat and the potatoes is always going to be your compound movements. Um, but I think doing a, a ton of unilateral work in the accessory and even mixing that up becomes important. You know, things like, um, you know, like, you know, like a lot of like one arm dumbbell stuff, a lot of Bulgarian split squats, a lot of lunging, a lot of moving uh, through space is important. But I think at the end of the day, uh, the strength conditioning program has to work in like like a like a cohesive way with the training program, Mm -hmm. like your specific fight stuff. The only time I've ever seen fighters do poorly with the strength program is when they start substituting the strength training for their actual fight training. Mm-hmm. As long as you're doing it within like, you know, like within, almost, yeah. right? I mean, I, dude, I, I remember, um, I think I, like, I, I don't know if Rogan got into it on, uh, with Tyson, but you know, Tyson was never really a weightlifter guy mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, thought like, you know, didn't really touch weights and he did a few things, but he was like, you know, kind of in that old school mentality. But then you also see a picture when he was like 13 and he looked like he had been fucking powerlifting for 10 years. Yeah, yeah. So uh, for a guy like him, it doesn't really matter. But I think in terms of the fight game, your ability to generate force and being smart, um, you know, do, do you have to go and do a full Ido Portal uh, who was uh, 
Conor McGregor's guy where you're doing the fucking... Playing touch butt. Yeah. yeah. What was it? Playing touch butt with his boy Ito. Yeah, well, you know, like uh, fucking McGregor and fucking Ito Portal like this, and then all of a sudden when... uh, Who is it? It's... um, Ah, that dude's like, oh, you're over there playing fucking touch butt with your gay friend. Yeah. At that point, dude, they fired Ito. Like, he was fucking gone. You never heard <laughs> anything else. And, like, you know, and Connor doing that weird fucking jelly arm thing, warm up and all that shit. Yeah. Ah, uh, you know, I just, like, yeah. So, uh, when, when we did, uh, you know, we did fight prep for uh, Vitor Belfort, um, who ended up getting knocked the fuck out. But Vitor wasn't really putting the hours in terms of in, into camp, like into his fight camp the way that he should. And uh, he's just kind of lazy. And I, I remember thinking, like, man, this dude doesn't really train that hard. And it ended up going out and getting knocked the fuck out. So I think as long as the, the strength and conditioning program is built in such a way that it, it's not the main focus, mm-hmm. it becomes a supplement to the fight, I think you're fine. And I think some other considerations to be made, too, is, like, where you lie in your weight class, right? At, you, yeah. We know that... <sighs> If you do tons of heavy, kind of grindy type stuff, you may thicken up, you may put on some weight, but you can also improve your ability to strike by doing some like more um, uh, dosing with some cat style training, yeah. right? Where you still need the heavy intensity days, but you can maybe lean a little heavier in terms of the volume that you would complete on like uh, the compensatory acceleration training, which is your, your ability to accelerate the bar. So it'd be a lower intensity or load for similar rep ranges, but at higher speeds, right? Yeah, and I also and like doing a be, ton of med ball stuff. Mm-hmm. And that, that stuff would, that like, exactly, and, like, the plyometric and med yep. ball would be, you. there's less risk there for potentially increasing body weight, right? Mm-hmm. And um, But a lot of that is also facilitated by nutrition. So, like, there's, it doesn't all just happen in one dimension, right? So I think, and then um, I guess another piece that it's, it's, Really, it, we'll mention it, but it's it's pointless unless you actually come out and learn it. Is like the MR stuff, right? Yeah, manual resistance. So any of the MR stuff that we put together, manual resistance stuff, I think would all paired up with the barbell stuff, with the med ball stuff, with your fight training. I think all of that tied up and bundled up a couple days a week is probably pretty optimal for for the fight dudes, right? I think. I guess on that note. Um, same feed. It's uh, in in similar theme. Uh, George Nelson Grindstoner, uh, reading the Power Athlete webpage and some blogs, came across the aerobic based stuff John is mentioning or has mentioned in the past. About oh yeah, we got a negative comment about that from some guy. It's shocker. Uh, hey, do you think it'd be a good idea for the average guy who's uh, like a BJJ guy? He goes uh, training two days a week with the mandatory days on Grindstone, which is smart. I mean. For anyone out there who's doing any of the BJJ stuff, like hobby, enthusiast, maybe even competitive, like Grindstone's a great option. Field Strong's a great option too, but Grindstone's also a great option to balance out the total training because you can fucking well, uh, dig yourself into a ditch. Well, especially with the uh, like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, there's so much technique work and there's so mm-hmm. much time that you have to do you know, within the actual fight experience that uh, I think the weight training and really the conditioning portion becomes almost a little secondary yeah, to yeah. it because it is so technical. And uh, being able to understand leverages and how you move and conditioning and how not to gas. So I think there's a huge learning component to this, and it's just this, you know, you know, science. 
So science, uh, the, you know, the, the training needs to supplement that. And I think if it's taking away from it and not helping, then I think mm-hmm. you, you got to kind of cut it back. And something like grindstone works really well, where it's two mandatory days, two recommended days and an optional day. I so, mean, there's so much conditioning based to, uh, you know, if you figure if you're going to rolling for, you know, uh, 60, 90, 120 minutes, I mean, you're kind of in this, I guess you could say like elevated aerobic state for extended periods of time. So I think, uh, so what he's asking is like, so he has two hard sparring days. Do you think it would be throwing in some like steady state cardio on those days afterwards to work aerobic or do you, you know, cause you had mentioned doing some, uh, aerobic work, uh, after game days. Yeah, I would do it the day after. Okay, so like the day after hit that would be a good option for yeah, him. Yeah, that. yeah. I, um, even though we do a mixed modal style of training, um, I don't always know if uh, uh, training a bunch of different energy systems on your t- on like your most specific days is mm-hmm. of value. So, I mean, like I would never, you know, like I, like I think the day after the game I came in and did a bunch of aerobic work. Uh, and that was more for a recovery thing. But um, I think for him, if he's doing a bunch of striking and it's real anaerobic, I'd kind of just be able to, you know, look at the intensity of that and then, you know, come in the next day and do a bunch of aerobic work, yeah. um, you know. And not to be confused with Metcons, people. We're talking like steady state kind of machine-based aerobic stuff. Yeah, you can do that. Uh, like jogging, a little bit of, you know, if you want to go out and like jog or do some, you know, road work or get on a machine and do that. So, I mean, and I don't know. I mean, if he's doing, you know, MMA, if he's doing grappling, uh, if he's, you know, boxing, like the idea of striking and actually getting there and doing some uh, some sparring work. I mean, that's pretty, uh, pretty anaerobic. Uh, it would really just depend on the time. Like if he's, you know, I don't know, uh, if he's getting in there and he's fucking ground and pound striking for fucking three hours. That's different than, hey, you know what, we go, you know, we do a class that's 45 minutes to an hour with really 15 minutes of hard work. Mm-hmm. So I think it really, you kind know, with, yeah, without some more details, um, just kind of shooting in the dark. All right. Going back to some nostalgia here, John. Since it's the birthday episode, what's a birthday memory from each of you? Best birthday story, craziest party? Shoot. Okay, I got one. You got one? Go for it. I don't know if I would, like, this is the one that's coming to mind, so I'm going with it. Is, is it admissible? Is this going to get you in trouble? Uh, I don't think so. I'm trying to think of the birthdays. They're all blurry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that. Sounds yeah. pretty accurate. No, I, I guess my 30th birthday, was it my 30th? I think it was my 30th. Ash got me a cruise. We did a cruise out of SoCal to Ensenadas. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, Ensenada. Ensenada. And it was like, it's a three-day carnival cruise. The first cruise I've ever been on. And I was pretty excited because I'm told it's all you can eat, all you can drink type deal. Uh, it's not all you can drink, but it is all you can eat. And um, we get in there and like the, the whole thing's delayed for a, few, for a few hours. So we don't even disembark on time. We're like six hours behind schedule. But we just belly up, Ash and I, and just start having cocktails and start meeting people and then rub elbows with what we thought were going to be like our crew and our posse for the rest of the fucking cruise, which is a three-day. And later that night, once we kick off, like, they get sloppy. And they're, like, sloppy-looking people. I would say Ash and I were, like, we're pretty fit-looking people. Everyone on a fucking cruise is essentially sloppy. Yeah. And these... Well, they're going to eat. These guys... And gals. Weren't they all like doing like yeah. like the swap? 
Yeah. They were all married, but not to each other. Okay. So they were, and they were all knew each other some, from very random, like obscure work trips. And they decided to get to know one another on this trip. And then they all started to get like sloppy in terms of making out with each other. And me and Ash were getting drunk and like, I thought it was, I, I like, I like being in those uncomfortable situations with strangers. I just love it. I think it's fucking great. But then Ash went back to the room and they like, they propositioned me to go have an orgy. And How that's was it? where. So it, then the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when the, everything became very sobering. And I'm like, there's two, like, it's like, de- what a great story. This has been like, my whole life has been about collecting stories like this. And any other fucking obviously taken man, I'm like, man, would I have followed through? If I was a single guy, would I have followed through on that sloppiness? And that, like, John, these people were disgusting. Yeah, I, I remember you telling now. Now that you're recounting the story, I remember yeah. you coming and telling me this. And you're like, they were disgusting. Now, here's the thing about being on a cruise ship. You cannot fucking escape anyone. So the, that was the, oh, like... But that was day one. Like, that like, was my posse. And like, I'm like, we're going to be a posse. You know, like I let in with this shit way too prematurely without fucking. Andre the Giant has a posse. <laughs> Luke Summers has so a posse. So long story short is. Uh, and then you don't do the threesome and then no, they're mad no, at you for no. the next two yep. days. Yep. But then they keep trying to engage and like, oh, it was fucking. So that was like probably my most memorable. And uh, holy shit, that was. Ugh. But what if I was single? What would have happened? That would have been probably nothing because you probably have standards, not fucking morals. Eh. Uh, Maybe not. (laughs) Um, So that's where I'll start with that one. You got something you guys? Yeah, I had a great, great run. 21 to 26. And Callie was here for a lot of them. We always went to the guards. Favorite bar of all time. Uh, M Street, Washington, D.C. Yeah, my buddy used to bounce her. Yeah, great. Uh, and I think I think I, he had bounced when yeah he did yeah. either way just fucking shut it down and two in season so I had two opportunities to go party it up in season my senior year fucking my goalie got completely blackout drunk and if you walk across Key Bridge it turns into Virginia so DC to Virginia two different public intoxication laws so oh, if you get locked up in DC you just go to a drunk tank and you get set free in the morning if you get Locked up in Virginia, it's bad news. So he stumbles across the bridge in an attempt to get a cheaper cab and gets fucking picked up, gets arrested, gets suspended two games. We're talking an all-American goalie and essentially, like, fucking cost us the senior season. Yeah, it was rough. So that's memorable, not in a good way. But then we continue the streak going and just fucking shut down the guards and uh, run it, man. Great bar, great time. Unfortunate, no other dance party bars replaced it. Not even in Austin. Wow. Yeah. I'm, uh, my twenty first. That, uh, that was October twenty twelve. I just pulled it up. Yeah. My twenty first birthday was pretty memorable. Uh, I went with my brothers and my mom and dad to Vegas, and we saw Wayne Newton live. Ooh. So we saw a little old Wayne Newton. We went to this kick ass dinner. I think we went to like the Brown Derby for dinner, and then uh, we went to see Wayne Newton. And then after that, we went and gambled uh, until like four in the morning playing roulette and blackjack. And uh, I ended up hitting it big pretty good. So I made some dough, which was nice, which actually paid for the whole thing. Uh, But yeah, that was a pretty good adventure. Man, I'm trying to think like 21, my 21st birthday was just a bloodbath. 
So that was probably the craziest part. Did you even make it out to the bar? Everything since then probably has been like just in terms of like the party, just I don't know standard, right? And I was one of the guys. I was like an early um, twenty one. October. Yeah, early twenty one. So none of my buds can go to the bar. So we like went to the bar. I, I don't know. I remember uh, when I was in or uh, I had obviously that one was with my family, but I got uh, these girls that I knew took me out from my you know hey we want to take you get you some drinks for your twenty first first. So we showed up at this bar, and I'd been kind of avoiding it because I'd gone out on other people's 21st and fucked them up. And uh, yeah. I, like, show up, and, like, everybody I know is waiting for me. And I'm like, motherfucker. Yeah. And I remember the last thing I remember was, oh, yeah, no, it's called The Three Wise Men. Oh, my God. Oh, and yeah. uh, I, just oh, yeah. Re- yeah. I just remember, like... Uh, what do we got, J-Mo, Jack? Yeah, J-Mo, Jack, and, uh, and Jim. Jim? Uh, no, no, it was... Uh, J- it was um, no, it's uh, Jack, Jim, and Jose. Oh. And... Uh, oh, I'm talking four horsemen. That's one leg up. Uh, so I remember the girls took me home, opened the door. I face planted. They shut the door. I somehow crawled in, and I had, like, pretty severe alcohol poisoning because I, I was so hot. I got in the bath and fucking laid in the cold water to try to get my temperature down. Uh, I was sick and didn't drink alcohol for almost two years after that. I believe it. So, like, I didn't fucking drink Whoa. just the thought of alcohol. So I remember, like, last two years of college, dude, just fucking did not go out and drink at all. And I had this weird cough that just didn't go away. <laughs> I just would be like... <laughs> oh, yeah, drinking cough. The black lung. <laughs> I had the black lung. It was fucking so awful. So three's wise. Oh, this sounds awful. Johnny Black, Jim Bean, and Jack Daniels. Jimmy Beam. See, so the birthday thing's kind of... Because after 21, it kind of just gets toned down but it was like at 24 I think it's 24 25 years old is when bachelor parties started and those things always smashed birthday parties so that's like those are the most memorable fucking events that I can because uh, like, I would not so what's your most different fucking bachelor parties I, I've got two big ones this summer what's your most memorable bachelor party you can't say your own even though it was awesome I don't I, it was I'm sure you guys had a great time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had the big guy hauling me around weekend to Bernie style. Um, nap dances, yeah. Nap dances. Let's see. Man, they are uh, probably my buddy skis. It was the first time we all had like pretty good paying jobs and went to Vegas. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? And uh, it was pretty fun because I had SoCal buddies that came out. And like, and for the first time, assimilated with the Naperville buddies, and it just like it was fun. It was good. Fun. It, that was a lot of fun. That was Las Vegas, and it was just a standard playbook. It was like uh, bars and gambling day one, day two, uh, gambling to some sort of club, Yo. civilian club, John, not like so, the NFL. Clubs. Well, well, yeah, Did y'all so, pool party? So and my that's brother, day three, and that's where my you brother, uh, my brother Eddie's bachelor party was hilarious because we went to Vegas and uh, we didn't. Re- I, I, I'd been to Vegas, obviously, you know, a few times. I didn't realize that there's tiers of clubs in Vegas. You know, like at the time, like I remember it was like it was uh, like Tao. It was uh, um, the place at the Wynn. I mean, there were all these places with mm-hmm. fucking lines and it's bottle service and all the good looking people. And I remember. Um, w- my brother Eddie's like I planned the party but like they wanted to go to these other places so we went to like the foundation room at like the uh, the house of blues and as I'm rolling in I realize that this is like a tier two or three uh-huh. uh because I'm like looking around I'm like that's my spot like I'm normally like looking for like 
I'm, I, you know, you're looking for some fucking, just some, some, some heaters looking girls. And all of a sudden, like we're looking around and I'm like, man, there's like a lot of like civilians. Yeah. There's a lot of real, real average looking civilians? girls in here. We're so players. So oh, that sounds like my kind of place. So, yeah, uh, Eddie and I go to the bar and we're getting drinks and all of a sudden, like we get surrounded by the, by, uh, <laughs> by the moose. Uh, that's what I call them. Like they look like the Omega moose from fucking, uh, revenge of the nerds. And so all of a sudden the fucking moves kind of like create like a little semicircle around us and like they're not letting us out and they're like fucking drinks and they're just throwing money fucking drinks and uh i remember uh, i lean over to my brother i'm like these moves sure can't party and uh oh dude it was the best so to this day my brother eddie and i still laugh about it we're like dude remember we were at that foundation room and those moves he's like yeah they hemmed us up big time and, and uh yeah it was a good time slight correction in case any of my dirtbag friends do end up listening to this one is my boy tom's bachelor party he was the first one to fucking rip it off that was dude epic epic we had a mariachi band so oh that's cool we came down landed in the air or went into one of the food courts and there was a mariachi band and a buddy walked up to him and was like hey i need your number we're gonna need you do you guys do private gigs like we're gonna need you i don't know when and i don't know what but we're gonna need you and uh long story short got the number organized it they came to the pool party <laughs> And we had a cabana at the pool party with a mariachi band, full garb mariachi yeah. band. We had them for two hours, and uh, it was just Epic. a spectacle. Yeah. We had, and then uh, the next gimmick. So then that's when I realized you need a gimmick. Like, you got to have a gimmick. Huh. So the, and then uh, one of the next gimmicks that was pretty memorable was uh, the Sally Bong. Text for you know what Sally Bong is? I know what it John, is. John, do you know what that is? No. Uh, topless mannequin with no arms and no legs and no head. Oh yeah, that beer bong. That was that. at your uh, <laughs> that was at your bachelor party. Yeah, so we just uh, oh. we raged with that, and that was the gimmick that time. And that God. was just like I still remember Ski putting on that girl's shorts, <laughs> and then like uh, that was the gimmick. Ah, uh, dude, the best was that uh, Ski so skinny that the shorts were actually yeah. loose on him. Yeah, like the, the girl's legs. Best legs oh eight. What do you say? And uh, yeah, well, I mean, the problem was his fucking you know his fucking uh, equipment slipped out the side <laughs> which was even more awkward as he's just sitting there and the girl didn't realize that he was fucking you know hanging out like that yeah, God, that, that was, was awesome. and the, the funny part she's like those are kind of snug on me they're so loose he's like oh, yeah. <laughs> oh god i'll tell you though the my greatest memory from your bachelor party was uh nate austin's making good on his super bowl and peaking that weekend. Yeah. He peaked hard. He peaked so hard. It's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. And the best is Bo Colombo just fucking riding him. Yeah. And then, uh, and then that was, uh, um, you know, when Dusty thought that he was going to somehow Dusty me. Uh-huh. And oh, that dusty. Yeah, that dusty. <laughs> and uh, it was great because uh, I was just so accepting of Dusty and it was mm -hmm. so upsetting to him mm -hmm. that he couldn't upset anybody. Couldn't break through the shell. No, he can't. And I, I was like, Dusty, there's nothing you can do to upset us. We, we've accepted you. He's like, God damn it. It was good. But yeah, your bachelor party was a fun time. And then, uh, you know, Spanton, obviously, you know, hey, we need some money for the bachelor. Mm -hmm. Nap dance. Yeah. You'll figure out what that is, listeners. Just nap dance. Uh, I, what do you want to pit? What do you want to transition to? I, I don't, know, the, I don't know if we can top this. Kobe Tomahawk is the official cut. This guy's going to be disappointed by this answer, <laughs> by the way. So iron and stills. Kobe Tomahawk is the official cut of meat for power athlete. But what, my friends, is the official beer 
For some reason, I don't see a Nancy-ass light beer filling the ticket. Stout? Porter? Question marks? Also, who shot Nice Guy Eddie? I don't know what that last part means. Uh, it's a Reservoir Dog score. Ah. Um, yeah, Nice Guy Eddie. It's been a while. Played by uh, Chris Penn. So. Look it up. Beer. Beer? Shiner. Easy. Do we have an official power athlete beer that we all enjoy? Um, I do like Shiner. I would say Shiner's probably... Uh, That's probably our overlap, right? Yeah. I, I don't love it. But I'll like drink it. it. Yeah. Because I don't, I'm, I'm not an IP, I'm not a hoppy guy. Oh, no. I don't like that beefy fucking you, beer. What do you drink? Guinness is out for you. Uh, oh, I do love a Guinness. So my go-to, see, I'm out. I'm not a Guinness guy. I don't love them. But you guys, I would say, yeah, I'm a Guinness, Guinness. dude, it, it. it just fucks my guts up. So in, for the longest time. Well, that's I, what happens when you drink 12. No, <laughs> why, why would I only drink 12? Um, for the longest time, I was Coors Light guy. Because usually when I crack a beer, it's because I'm like socially drinking. Uh, if I were to sip on a beer, though, like I just don't really sip on a beer. I'd rather sip on a bourbon, you know, no, or even I, a tequila. Well, that's why you don't come hang out at the shop on Fridays when we drink beer because you don't want to drink beer. Huh? Mm-hmm. That's part that of it. Makes sense. And I'm just afraid one of those days will turn into like, okay, let's clean the shop. And then <laughs> fucking, the fuck? Did I, God damn it! I'm drinking all the beer then. <laughs> but yeah, I guess no real. Answer for the beer. We're not big beer crew. I do like myself a fucking cider, though. Uh, uh, Austin East Austin East cider. Ah, uh, you know what? I do like I Mexican do. beer, yeah, but only same. for meeting Mexican food or beer. in Mexico. I like yes, like going having fajitas with a Pacifico and lime, yeah. or the, yeah, like a Tecate and or a Modelo, yeah. Yeah. Mexico pills, Modelo Negra, man. Yeah. Yeah, I guess any so it's we're kind of beer guys. Mexican beers. Well, guys. yeah, but if I go eat sushi, I like to have an asahi. I, I like agree. Japanese you know beer, but I'll never that. have a Mexican beer at a Japanese place, and I'll never have a Japanese beer at a Mexican place. And then after seeing how they make Corona, I'll never have a Corona. Again. Why didn't? No, and I used to drink the shit out of Coronas. It gives immediate headache. A, but what? What? I, what, uh, what do they do? Uh, so um, we played golf in down in San Jose at this real exclusive uh, golf course. My buddy Joe, who's my next door neighbor, belonged to this uh, really high end. Like, you know, you have to, you know, own a home in this place. And I remember his neighbor was like Justin Timberlake. So we went and played golf at this deal. And we uh, um, obviously I suck at golf. Joe's pretty good. So we're going through and these guys ask if they can play through. We're like, sure, no problem. These guys were playing, I think, like $50,000 a hole was what they were playing for the winner of the hole. And it was the the two brothers that own Modelo, who are like oh. the largest private landowners in Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, multi-billionaires. Multi uh, it was their crew playing, and Joe's like, uh, play through. <laughs> and so we were hanging out at like this kind of like, uh, they have these like, every hole has this like little house that's like full of like snacks and beers and shit. And so Joe's like, guy, oh, you want a beer while we were hanging out with them? And so he went to grab the Coronas and the dude's like, don't ever drink the Coronas. And we were, and like, Joe's like, well, why you guys are Modelo guys. He's like, if you saw what they put in the Corona, you would never drink a Corona. Dominic Toretto, big Corona. Guy. And I was a big Corona guy. And at that point I've never What's had that? a Corona since. You can have any beer as long as it's a Corona. <laughs> fucking best line in fucking the fat in fast and furious. And, the first one. So, and unsolicited, like that was just fucking Vin Diesel loving Coronas for real. Fun fact. Yeah. That was in, uh, it was in the rewatchables. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that it was like 
not not a product we placement. used to drink we used to drink a ton of coronas with runyon and uh and i i'll tell you i was always a corona drinker and um and, i never and then, liked it and then ever since then he's like don't ever drink it and i wasn't going to ask him like oh well, what's in it i'm like well dude hey if the owner of modello and the fucking yeah. you know one of the richest dudes in mexico fucking says don't drink them i'm not drinking the coronas anymore. that's how he buy sells modellos uh what <laughs> yeah one to one just going around telling people to not drink it man yeah i got hooked on modellos it was just it's always the cheapest beer Two dollars anywhere, and then you just try to uh, drink out the bar. I actually do know what I think the power athlete beer is. Yingling. Oh. Yingling. Yeah, yeah, yeah but big. but only Yingling. if we're on the east coast of yeah. Philadelphia. And yeah. out of a can. I like the can out of a bottle oh, versus the bottle. I like the it's bottle. A, do you like the bottle? Like go the bottle. to Yingling's my go-to wedding beer. I guess most of my weddings are on the east coast because you can drink twelve of them and just it's a fucking great time. Yeah, I like that. Who it's, shot? It's oh, you want to keep it going? Who shot nice guy? Yeah, Eddie. keep on. Uh, Mr. Pink. Mr. No, Pink. Mr. White. I haven't seen that fucking movie. Fucking in the Mr. White. Time. Harvey Keitel fucking shoots. Look it up. The shoots wolf. Knife Guy Eddie. Don't, don't you remember? He's Mr. Pink is laying there bleeding out, and fucking Chris comes in. He's going to kill him, and then fucking Harvey Keitel fucking blasts him. I think that's, if I remember my Reservoir Dogs correctly. I have. A, I just watched. I got to get back and watch it. Yeah. I guess let's. we can cut it. It's 117. Cool. All right. Power Athlete Nation, thanks again. We got to most of the questions. There's a lot of square body talk, but we can save that for part two. For the biannual. Ooh, let's biannual. Or we could just make this A and then we'll come back and do B. Okay. Sounds, sounds good. good. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Just a quick word about the Johnny Wad training camp that's coming up on April 26th and 27th. To me, it sounds like one big pillow fight disguised as a full-on bro fest, which I'm inclined to like the sound of both. But basically, you're going to turn up in Dripping Springs, Texas. You're going to train hard. You're going to eat super fucking hard. And you're going to cuddle even harder. That's right. Johnny Wad brings a whole new meaning to the term meat sweats. And there's only one way to experience it. That's live, in person, and shirtless. If you're uncomfortable, several dozen beers will be provided to help take the edge off. Check out events.powerathletehq.com for more information. Until next time, uh, bye. Bye.